taking the practice home, and then there will be a question and answer period, and then a, a formal breaking of the silence, and then we'll do a dedication of the merit. Before the formal talk, just we have two people who need a ride to San Francisco. So I'm wondering if anybody has room for two people or one per do you have room for two people, John? Okay, so raise your hand, John. Where's Breeze and Sean over here? They're there. Great. John will give you a ride. <clears throat> It's an interesting uh, moment uh, at this point of a retreat. Uh, how would it be if I tell you that the retreat's not going to end? Because <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. The retreat's actually not going to end. And in that, uh, in a certain kind of poetic Zen fashion, it, it never really began. Uh, we, we made it up. And then we all pretended we we're on retreat. Did you notice? <laughs> we, pretended, we pretended to teach, and you pretended to be students, and everybody pretended we were on retreat, and now... We're not going to pretend anymore. <laughs> it's a poetic way of suggesting to you that um, really the retreat is just a tool for um, participating in our life very fully that the retreat itself is a very skillful tool, it's an important tool, valuable tool. <clears throat> but uh, uh, life, and really the life that's sitting in your seat, that's what's important. And we take different roles and we pretend different things at different times, like we're on retreat or we're teachers or we're 
computer programmers or we're parents or we're children or and they're all important they're all good <clears throat> but there's something more that the retreat and your heartfelt uh, intention your heartfelt wish that brought you on this retreat points us to that there's something uh, inherent in human life that is really precious, really valuable. And I think I said it at the beginning in Buddhism, we talk about precious human birth. Um, the call uh, to awakening or to liberation or to enlightenment or to freedom or to wholeness is inherent in each of us. And you, you've all heard the call in some way, shape, or form, or you wouldn't be here. And so the retreat's just been a, a tool to help facilitate that call. And in that sense, it doesn't begin or end. That call was here before the retreat. That movement or drive towards enlightenment will continue after the retreat. And the question is mostly, what are the skillful means needed to continue to allow that yearning for freedom or for wholeness to mature and to ripen and to bear fruit? And so I, th I actually think it's helpful to begin a little bit to even let go of the idea that the retreat ends. You're just going to continue the retreat in another form. You know, we've been doing it in this form of the sitting and walking in silent meditation form. And now we're going to do it in the, you know, father, mother, partner, daughter, son, computer programmer, teacher, uh, whatever it might be, male person, uh, you know, working in the restaurant person, student, college, in whatever form we are going to take, that's where the retreat continues. And what I'm pointing at is, has to do in the Buddhist path with, with what's called right understanding. Right understanding, it's one of the, it's considered the first limb of the Eightfold Path, the first link of the path. And it's really how we understand reality and ourselves, how we understand what are we doing here in this human life, in this precious human birth, what, what, what's important. And as we begin to understand the temporality of human life, the suffering of human life, the interconnectedness of human life, what starts to emerge, this, this uh, motivation for uh, liberation or for illumination or for wholeness, starts to emerge more clearly and the Dharma starts to be recognized as really not something we do at Spirit Rock or not something we do if you go to a sitting group once a week, but really that your whole life is the Dharma. The Dharma is life. There's really not any separation, whether you're a painter or a contractor or 
you know, an executive, uh, a CEO, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what the roles are. Underlying all of this is the Dharma. And, and sometimes people make, uh, uh, there's a confusion. I know I had it at first. So much happens on a retreat and, it, and the Dharma starts to get illuminated. We get lit up with the Dharma. We're like, oh, this is real. This is true. Not a, and it's not an idea. It's not a conceptualization. We're, the actual experience is alive. Uh, we begin to see clearly. And then we think, oh, it's the retreat. That's where it is. It's on the retreat. And I used to just leave retreat and do whatever I needed to do in order to get back to retreat. And that's not a bad thing, but it's, it took me a while to realize, oh, that's not the only thing, that the Dharma is wherever we are. And uh, there's a lovely quote from Dogen, Zen Master Dogen, who said, those who see worldly life as an obstacle to dharma see no dharma in everyday actions. They have not yet discovered that there are no everyday actions outside of dharma. And so if you're feeling a little bereft about leaving or like you know, some kind of uh, holding on to retreat, you don't have to. You don't have to feel bad at all. The dharma is going to greet you everywhere you go. Now, that said, and again, it's, it's, well, let me say it this way. That said, this is a unique form and it's very supportive of realizing the Dharma. The forms that we're about to enter, the different particulars of our life, may not be quite as supportive Let's be honest, right? I mean, you know, the people at the supermarket probably won't be bowing to you. Or, you know, they're not going to be, you know, sensing their body probably. You never know where you find the odd bodhisattva wandering around. But. And so um, the question is then how do we be skillful in these forms? in school, in the supermarket, in the restaurant, in the, you know, in, I think we're coming into the, uh, I think it's called the holiday season. <laughs> right. um, you know, how are we going to be skillful when you're shopping for presents? How does that work? And um, some of it, and the reason why I think it's important to see we made up the retreat, because, you know, this retreat form got made up. I'll, I'll even, I'll give you a little context, you know, so 75 years ago, this, this didn't happen. There weren't, there weren't lay people coming on retreat and doing five days or 10 days or, but one of the monastics made up this idea of, oh, let's do a retreat for lay people. 10 day retreat was what mostly they were doing. He made it up. The whole form was made up. The Buddha made up the forms that we're doing. You know, of sitting, you know, or, or before him it was made up by somebody else to sit down and pay attention in a certain way. Or the bowing or the different ways that people practice. It, it's all made up. And so one of the great opportunities we have right now as lay people is to see what is skillful and what works and to experiment and to see what might 
what does practice look like in the 21st century in a multicultural, diverse, uh, 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 global uh, community? What does it look like? What does it look like for us individually? What's the Dharma? How, how is the Dharma going to express itself here now? And I'll offer you a few different ideas about that, but also I want to really encourage you to consider, to contemplate, and to think about how can it work for you? What, what is needed for you? What will support you? What will illuminate this light, as Pam and uh, we all sang about? What will illuminate this light where you are, where you find yourself, in whatever the circumstances might be? Um, one of the suggestions that I like to give is to follow your heart. If you've been moved by the Dharma, if it's touched you, see where it calls you. Maybe some people are really drawn, touched, uh, quickened by the teachings of emptiness and selflessness. Pursue them. You can read ancient texts written about emptiness. I was just looking at a book in, the, in our little library called The Emptiness of Emptiness. Oh, look, we have some friends out there on the lawn. Some of you will be able to see some deer. Um, uh, you can read ancient texts. You can read modern uh, uh, um, contemporary writers, practitioners, teachers writing about emptiness, and then practices about emptiness. Or, or maybe you're really moved by compassion. Pursue it. See, see what's out there about compassion. Google compassion. <laughs> and you'll have five years' worth of practice <laughs> that you can pursue. And it's, and it's not, not a bad thing. And there's a two, there's, you know, and, and, you know, for some people, it's just mindfulness meditation. You could listen to a talk every night for the next year from Dharma Seed, and you would still have another five years' worth of talks you could listen to. Um, but there's a twofold benefit here. One is that, well, let me put it this way. There are many Dharma doors. There are many Dharma gates. And so you can go in any door. You can go in the emptiness door. You can go in the compassion door. You can go in the mindfulness door. You can go in the service door. You can go in the community door. You can go in the devotional door. Some people are, are devotional. Their hearts just want to sing for the Dharma. And there are, you know, we have good friends, Kitty Saran Tanisara from South Africa, who come. And, you know, one of their main practices is, is um, it's um, a mystical Kuan Yin practice, practice to the Bodhisattva Kuan Yin. And they do uh, chanting and bowing practice to Kuan Yin. And it, it works. It's, it's kind of wild. Some weird shit happens you know, when, you, when you do that kind of practice, to be honest. I, I once did, we were doing a, a Kuan Yin practice with them once here, teaching it, and I went home one day and there was this 
horrendous message on my voicemail, really, from an old friend who was mad at me, and it was just like venomous. It really took me back. I had to go back, and then, and then I came back to the retreat, and uh, and uh, I told them what happened, and they looked and they said, "Oh, Kuan Yin practice, right?" <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Kuan Yin is the is the Bodhisattva who hears the suffering of the world, right? I went home, and there it was on my voicemail. You know, uh, they they nodded their head. They knew Kuan Yin practice. <laughs> So, and one of the benefits, first we see that there are many different dharma doors, as many different hearts as there are here. And so you don't have to follow any one dharma door, but you start to see, well, what are, what are the various dharma doors, and then where are you drawn? And if you start to trust where you're drawn, then you can start to trust your heart and really discover your way. And this is a very important part of Buddha's practice. The Buddha would give, you can read this in the text over and over again. He'll give a teaching or he'll give a talk or he'll have a dialogue with somebody. <clears throat> and then he'll, he'll say, now it is time for you to do as you see fit. Now it is time for you to do as you see fit. And that's the spirit of the retreat. We offer the retreats, we offer the practices of the Buddha and the Dharma as best we can, and then now it is time for you to do as you see fit. It's yours. It's not ours. It's not somebody hidden somewhere, Spirit Right. The Dharma is yours. Now it is time for you to do as you see fit. And then to trust that. And here's one of the great things about the Dharma. It's okay to make mistakes. You can make a lot of mistakes. In fact, mistakes will teach you as much as anything in the Dharma. Experiment, explore, try things, practices, ways. You know, you'll make up things, ways to practice in the car. The car is a great place to practice. Here's, I'll give you my two cents on it. You want to learn how to practice driving meditation? Get in the car, sit down, and meditate. Put your hands on the wheel, but don't turn the car on. And do that for a half an hour. <laughs> and then drive. Or, and the same, like a lot of people ask about the computer. How can I do Okay. Sit down, get a nice position at the computer, the keyboard. Don't turn it on. <laughs> it's a very interesting practice. To give yourself, a, and what the principle here is one gives oneself a basis before adding complexity. Start, start at lower levels of complexity and then add, start simply and add complexity because it gets trickier with more complexity. Um, so you'll learn to follow your heart and trust your heart, and I found that has been invaluable in practice, to really become your own teacher in that sense. And it doesn't mean you denigrate teachers or you, can't, you don't um, learn from teachers, but ultimately nobody can really 
ultimately you have to do your own practice. So another piece that's important is um, sitting practice. It's really helpful to sit every day, even if it's 10 minutes a day, even if it's an hour a day, even if it's two hours a day, whatever it is, it, it, even, even if you never get concentrated for that 30 minutes, just putting your body in the posture and sitting down is good. And if you can, if you can have that view Instead of the idea, oh, this should happen or it should be like retreat or anything like that, you will have a beneficial daily practice. Now, two things are important. One is, it's not going to be like on retreat. You ha- it's important to know that. It may be some days it'll feel like that, but often it won't. And the other thing, what is the other thing? One more. Oh, I know. You have to be ruthless if you want a daily practice. I want you to hear that word, ruthless, right? You can't be nice and have a daily sitting practice. <laughs> you you, you got to be ruthless. And by that I mean you have to be willing to say no to a lot of other things. You have to be willing to say, here's my commitment, and I'm going to do this, and no, 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 no. This 10 minutes, I'm not even talking about for 10 minutes you have to be ruthless. No, I'm not going to get my email now. No, I'm not going to answer the phone messages. No, I'm not going to go, whatever it might be, that calls you, because our world is a busy world, and everything will call you. And it's not bad to have a little bit of that fierce warrior ruthlessness as part of the palette of your skillful means in practice. People ask how long. Do something that's workable. Start with what's workable and then let it build. You know, if you only have 10 minutes, 10 minutes is good. It's all good. 10 minutes is good. An hour is good. Two hours is good. Whatever you do, it's good. (laughs) That's how I play golf. I go there, and if you hit the ball, it's good. (laughs) If you don't hit the ball, it's a practice swing. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) Another piece that's important I believe, very important. And actually, in, as I've lived a, a lifetime in the Dharma now, it feels like, you know, 25 years or more, um, what's emerged, what's come forward, as, as in addition to the silent retreat and my daily practice and the view of seeing the Dharma, is life is Dharma, is Sangha, is community. And a person, to be honest, I'm someone who was kind of dragged kicking and sh- screaming into community. wasn't my first. I was just like, oh, let's see. Even though I was leading a sitting group, I was leading 
people. <coughs> Excuse me. I was like, well, we're here to sit. We're not going to talk. <laughs> and, and my community helped me, taught me how important community was. And I really value it. It's really beautiful. And it's so helpful for all of us. We're, we're here together. There's no getting around it. And, you know, people love the Buddha, right? They, anybody here not love the Buddha? Or at least like the Buddha, right? The Dharma, it sounds so great. It, you know, they even had a TV show named Dharma, didn't they? But Sangha has to do with people. People are not so interested in that part of the Dharma. You know what, what uh, what's his name? The French philosopher. Who is it? Sartre. He said, hell is other people. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> but heaven is also other people. It's actually the same place. And Ajahn Chah asked Ajahn Sumedha once how the community was getting along. And Ajahn Sumedha replied, he said, people are getting along fine, Ajahn Chah. And Ajahn Chah replied, he said, well, there won't be much wisdom there. <laughs> that there's something about actually engaging and the uh, friction that we all know from relationship, from rela- whether it's intimate relationship or, or family or work or community, about actually being in relationship that wears off some of the hard edges, that will show us where we're holding or where we're not free, where we're not compassionate or where we're not understanding. And it doesn't, and it's not to blame ourselves, it becomes a tool, it becomes a practice. Sangha is a practice, as well as a tremendous support. And if you're here and you live in the Bay Area, we have a tremendous amount, we have such a richness of Sangha. Philip has a, just a thriving Sangha in Marin, and Gil Fransdale is leading a very big Sangha in the South Bay. And Pam and I are part of San Francisco Insight in San Francisco, and there's sanghas in the uh, uh, East Bay, and there's the Dharma Punk Sangha in San Francisco, and there's, you know, and there's the East Bay Meditation Center in uh, Oakland, and I mean, there's sangha everywhere. And if there's not, then you can create it. Spirit Rock will help you. How to, you know, if you if you need want to start a sitting group. They'll, they'll help you, I think they give you the zip codes in your area if you're from some outlying area of the people who have also come to Spirit Rock and you can send them a note and say, would you like to sit together once a week? And maybe you listen to a talk, you tape a talk, you get a tape talk and listen to it and discuss the Dharma and talk about how is it to practice. And the sitting groups have all kinds of activities, beginning classes on different, you know, intermediate classes, classes focused on the Eightfold Path or on the body or on... And then, and then within that, there's also Kalyanamita groups, which are spiritual friends groups. There are sub, subgroups 
that focus on different areas that you can join, whether it's uh, on uh, being you know, women in the Dharma or a person of color in the Dharma or 12-step in the Dharma or maybe uh, daily life in Dharma or work in Dharma, whatever, it, whatever your interest is. If you have an interest, you can start a Kalyanamita group and then other people will come join it. And so there's a lot of resources in Sangha, a lot of resources, and a great joy, a great pleasure to practice. How many people here from San Francisco Inside have been part of San Francisco? I mean, just to be on retreat and see one another together here, it's, it's, it's really a pleasure to practice. And then over time, over the years, <clears throat> um, the last main thing I want to say is this. It's about service as practice. Um, dana, generosity, uh, uh, comes in many forms. And one of the great gifts is to serve, is to offer back um, is to give from what's moved us for the benefit of all. And then there, there are so many opportunities to serve these days. There's, there's a lot of suffering in the world. And you can pick wherever, whatever moves you and see what that practice is. Um, how many people here have uh, volunteered for the Zen Hospice Project at some point? I just want to see few people. It's a great place to practice. You want to contemplate impermanence? That's, you get to practice there. At the same time, you're giving of your service. And the biggest paradox for me, when I was a volunteer, I've been involved with Zen Hospice for many years as a volunteer and teacher or trainer and things like that. The biggest, um, the most difficult part for me was letting in how much I was getting when I was a bedside volunteer. I didn't, I didn't know how much you get. And then Frank Ostaseski, the one of the founders, I remember talking to him about this. He said, well, in true service, everybody is served. Everybody's served. It's actually, the, people used to tell me how great I am because I'm a hospice volunteer. And it's like, no, I don't even get how much I'm getting. And so there's so many opportunities to let our hearts speak, to let our hearts act. I know at SF Insight we have a lot of people who are um, volunteer for the city's uh, Project Homeless Connect. We also have a sister sangha in um, South Africa that we've done all kinds of things with. We've, we've done a lot of um, financial support with them and help support their their uh, programs in the uh, AIDS epidemic in South Africa, and they've created model programs dealing with AIDS and uh, or orphans and uh, uh, community-based health workers and training people. And there, it's just been beautiful to watch the interaction. And and they really co and it really coalesced us as a community when we became sister sangha with them. Um, and actually, we're—it's a little plug—but in in uh, in January 10th and 11th, we're having a, a benefit 
for their new project, the Kapuka project, which they were a more outlying uh, region of South Africa there in KwaZulu-Natal, and a more outlying region asked them to initiate a program there. And so we're helping to fund that initial program. And actually, Pam and I are going to go down there in January to help launch that program. And it's, it's very exciting. It's beautiful to really connect with people and with the world that we're in. And so that's my little pitch for service. Try something. And it doesn't have to be big. It can be little. And even anything from volunteering at Spirit Rock to Zen Hospice or, you know, it's everywhere. The world needs our, our good wishes and our good work. And then the one last thing is about retreat. Retreats are invaluable. I suggest, and I really do my best to do this, always have one retreat on your calendar. When the retreat's over, put one on the calendar, even if it's a year out. Because again, it's part of that ruthless warrior, I'm going to do this. If you don't make the time, everything else will just fill it up. Everything else will call your time, take your time. So um, yeah, put the retreat on the calendar tomorrow. You know, see which one. Spirit Rock, IMS, different retreat centers, they're listed a year out. And then the last quote from the Buddha Charita. says, the Dharma of the Buddha does not require a person go into homelessness, become a monk or a nun, go into homelessness, or resign from the world, unless he or she feels called upon to do so. But the Dharma of the Buddha asks every person to free themselves from the illusion of self, to open one's heart, and to live a life of awakening. And whatever people do, whether you're a grocer or a soldier or a whatever it might be, a computer programmer or a CEO, whatever people do, let them put their whole heart into their task. Let them be diligent and energetic. And if they live in the world, not a life of self, but a life of truth, a life of dharma, then surely joy, peace, and bliss will dwell in their hearts and minds. Thank you for your practice here at this retreat. It's uh, both an honor and a pleasure and a privilege to be in this role, but it's the most important thing is to practice together. Thank you. In terms of the immediate, to remember that you have been in a very slow down space. So before you get back on the highway to get animated, to get, to get back into a, a kind of rhythm, and if uh, that you pay particular Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
dot org slash donate.